but we are starting a new sermon series, and, and how many of you remember Where's Waldo? Um, where you've got this um, very complicated picture, and the object is to look until you find the, the Auburn boy with the red and white striped shirt and the blue jeans uh, and the glasses. I remember doing that. I love searching of things where you search and search and search until you finally catch that glimpse of what it is you're looking for. Uh, I'm usually pretty good at it. It usually doesn't take me very long before I can, can spot Waldo. Well, we are starting the sermon series and um, we're calling it Glimpses of Jesus. And the idea here is that we long to find these glimpses of Jesus, this one that we worship, the one that we are trying to emulate particularly as Advent is coming, we're going to spend four weeks in December preparing for and expecting for the coming of Jesus. So we're going to take a little bit of time to really think about, reflect about who is this one that we spend so much time preparing for and expecting to come. Because I don't know if you're like me, many times I feel like my life is like the busy Waldo picture. And I'm just looking and looking, trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus in the busyness of my Waldo puzzle. So for four Sundays, we're gonna look at, at four different stories that come to us in the Gospels. And it sounds like I'm fading in and out too, um, but I'm gonna park it here. So um, if we need to use a pulpit mic, we can. We got new receivers. so. The joy is we can actually finally turn our mics on and they stay on. The challenge is we're not quite all synced up yet into our sound system. Um, But we're going to hear four stories that tell us something about this amazing Jesus that we long to have in our lives. Today, we're going to see a story about Jesus inviting. It's a familiar story. And so um, I invite you to join me and let's figure out what exactly it is that Jesus is inviting us to. So hear these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner? Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of you this day through your teachings and word 
so that others might catch a glimpse of you within each one of us. Amen. Can you just see the scene before us? Can you just imagine it? The people are gathered, and they've gathered in this place before. This isn't the first time. And there's a tree, and the children have climbed that tree a hundred times. And there's a sense of expectation and anticipation in the air. They are waiting for Jesus to come. And it is into this setting that we have this story about Zacchaeus trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus as we are trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? We know he is short, we know he is rich, and we know that he, is a, uh, he was rich because he was a chief tax collector, and we know that that's, that must mean that Zacchaeus was despised and considered um, despicable and a bad person and a sinner. And we know this because of the umpteen times in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, where tax collectors and prostitutes are listed as undesirables, as sinful, outcast people. Chief tax collectors were despised because they were the ones who both cheated the people out of their money in the collection of the taxes and probably even more hated because they were in partnership with the despised Roman um, Empire that occupied Israel at the time. That was Zacchaeus. So what do we know about Jesus? He was highly anticipated in this community. Word had gotten out about him. We know from stories that Luke has already told us earlier in this gospel that Jesus came to seek the lost. We know that instead of Zacchaeus seeking Jesus out, actually what's happening here is that Jesus completely intends to seek Zacchaeus out. What we also see happening here, though, is a culmination of lessons from Jesus' previous teaching. So let's get a little insight into that. He's already spent time with another tax collector named Levi. And his lesson while he was sitting around the dinner table that day was that those who humble themselves will be exalted. So they've learned that lesson. And then as Zacchaeus' story unfolds, they get to see it play out real time. Because you see, Zacchaeus has risked complete embarrassment in order to um, see Jesus. And he's done this by doing two things. First of all, he ran. Second of all, he climbed a tree. A grown man did not run like a child in Zacchaeus' time, nor did a grown man climb a tree either. And yet, because he humbled himself because seeing Jesus, catching that glimpse of Jesus, was more important to him than his pride. This is who Jesus has singled out and honored by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. The one who humbled himself was exalted, and Jesus gets to make his point. Another important story that's already happened is Jesus talked to a rich young ruler where Jesus told him, all right, you need to sell all of your possessions and give everything to the poor. And the the rich young ruler walks away, um, sad, sad at what he is being asked to do in order to enter the kingdom of God. We know that rich people don't fare too well in the gospels with Jesus, 
But this, friends, is an example of a rich man who did thread the eye of the needle of a camel. He did inherit the kingdom of God. Because of his generosity and faithfully giving to the poor, we see that the rich are not automatically dismissed, but can, in fact, be part of God's kingdom. So these are the things that you've probably already discussed every time you've heard this story come up in worship or Sunday school or Bible study. Unless we get too focused on Zacchaeus, we must remember that Jesus is the real hero of this story. And as we focus back onto Jesus, we realize that the glimpse of Jesus that we capture is in fact the one who invites Jesus is inviting in a couple of different ways. First of all, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. You gotta love that. Didn't your mom always tell you, don't ever invite yourself over. You wait to be invited. Not Jesus. And the people grumble because of it. They question, why would he choose to associate with such a despised sinner? Why isn't he coming to my house for dinner? And of course, they've forgotten that Jesus has said over and over and over, he has come for just that kind of person. That scripture reminds us Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Well, Jesus also has a habit of inviting himself into the lives of people. When he invites himself into Zacchaeus' life, Zacchaeus will never be the same. When Jesus invites himself into our lives, we will never be the same. The joy in which Zacchaeus greets and reacts to Jesus is part of what makes this story, in my opinion, so beautiful, so precious. Finally, I think Jesus invites us into this story. And I believe um, that, that, that we are invited to consider this with fresh eyes. And I know I did this week. I discovered something I hadn't seen before. And I love it when this living word does that for me. Okay, so verse 8 is the doorway into this invitation to discover something new. And it's actually a translation challenge. So I hadn't noticed it before because for the most part, um, particularly in seminary and my early years out, I use the NRSV, the NIV. Those are, are fairly familiar translations. And in those translations, verse 8 is written in the future tense. It is written in a way that says that Zacchaeus responds to Jesus by promising to sell half of his possessions, that he will sell his possessions, he will give them to the poor, and he will, um, if he ever cheated, cheats, cheated someone, he will go back and pay them four times. It, it makes it sound like it's because of his repentance, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' household. But in the CEB version, Common English Bible, which I use, but also the Revised Standard Version, which is what the New Revised Standard Version was written off of, translated from, in those translations and several others, it's not in future tense. It's present tense. And so that's what it says. It says that Zacchaeus is already doing these things, that he is already sharing part of his profits with the poor, that he... Um, and then set, that he already sets his fees justly. And if he has um, cheated anyone, he voluntarily repays them back at the highest penalty possible if he's made a mistake. So in this scenario, Jesus offers salvation not as the result of his repentance, 
but instead affirms him as a just tax collector, trying to be fair in a profession that is wrought with corruption. You see, this interpretation changes the story. Instead of Zacchaeus being a redeemed sinner dramatically made good, it actually implies that Zacchaeus is not as bad as originally perceived and that he's already repented and he is trying to live faithfully. So what at first confused and threatened my traditional understanding of this familiar story instead has brought a beautiful richness to a familiar text. So now I I don't speak Greek. I didn't have to study Greek or Hebrew, um, but I know how to study the people who do study Greek and Hebrew. And what is going on here is the truth is there is a translation challenge. And it's the verb that is used because it is possible to be read in the present tense or the future tense. And I don't want to get lost in all of that. Just trust that there is an issue there. But instead, I want to marvel at the richness of what, in my opinion, is a more realistic significance um, that this discrepancy gives to our understanding of the person of Zacchaeus. One commentator used this as an opportunity to warn us about the risks of applying a single story to people. Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie did a TED Talk in which she said this, To insist on only the negative stories is to flatten my experience and overlook the many other stories that have formed me. You see, if we apply that to Zacchaeus, we realize he's not a single story person. He was not just a rich, short tax collector and severe sinner. He was also generous and humble and curious about Jesus. In other words, Jesus invites us to consider people as far more complex than a single story can illustrate. But here's the trap that we so often fall into. The danger of a single story characterization is that it can collapse all of a person's experience, their feelings, into a stereotype. It flattens this experience into a way that Um, ignores the complexity that has gone into forming who they are. It also, that characterization can lead to good people being rejected because of these stereotypes. We judge a book by its cover and then fail to see the deeper good that all people are capable of. These stereotypes can tell an incomplete story about people. While there is a kernel of truth to stereotypes, More often than not, the generalities aren't fair when it comes to an individual's circumstances um, or or their personhood. And these single-story characterizations, they're oftentimes extremely compelling, but their one dimension often doesn't fully demonstrate God's grace and mercy. And this is what I think is really important about this. If, in fact, we are much more gray people than black and white, good and bad. It's important for us to understand God's mercy comes to us in those gray moments, not just in the dramatic repentance of a horrible sinner whose life is turned around. God's mercy also comes to the person struggling with good and bad, who is mostly good but makes some bad choices every once in a while. 
God's grace and mercy is ever-present in those moments, too. But I think we sometimes struggle to believe that because we might not represent some dramatic reversal in our own lives, that we're not worthy of God's grace. But it's more like God's grace are those bumper rails in the gutters of the bowling alley that are working to try and keep that bowling ball going down the center lane. And for that, I am thankful. How much more powerful and beautiful this story becomes when it opens up to us the importance of not seeing someone in a one-dimensional character. For example, Dr. Katrina uh, Furlick was doing her residency in neurosurgery at the University of Pittsburgh uh, Medical Center there. And she wrote a book called Another Day in the Frontal Lobe. And one day she is sharing about her experience um, using uh, at the end of her residency. And so she is walked into yet another examining room, and it's... She's starting to experience this jaded um, reaction to tragedies, to neurological devastation in people's lives. So she walks into this examining room, and it's a brand-new consult, an 18-year-old from out of town, cerebral palsy. Um, Visually, she assesses typical symptoms. She's like, okay, I've seen this before. I just need to get a good history before my um, um, attending walks in. Efficiency is the key to this. And so she assesses the patient. He's in a wheelchair, very skinny. Um, His arms are contracted. His head is supported in place. His mouth is hung open. So she assesses, I'm not going to get much there. So she actually turns her back to the patient and begins to talk to the parents. A few minutes into the assessment, the attending comes in, sits down, gets a look at the land in these few, what felt like for her, or never-ending seconds. He turns back to the patient and looks at him and says, so when did you graduate from high school? And the young man just lit, his eyes lit up in a way she didn't think was possible. And then there she saw it. He had seen what she had missed, but on his skinny, bony little fingers was this massive high school ring. And what she then learned is that the cerebral palsy might have wreaked havoc on his body, but not on his mind. And he had used a special computer to communicate, and in fact had graduated from high school. And so she spent the rest of the time in the corner feeling like... um, she had, she had completely messed this up. But here's the lesson here. Y'all, we make snap judgments every single day. And when we prejudge another person and assume that we know their story, choosing not to listen to their verbal or their nonverbal communication, we can make the saddest mistake of all. Because it's easy to view people as a stereotype or to judge them based on one story or one characteristic, and not as a person for whom Christ has died. And I've done both. I've both done this to others, and I've been on the receiving end. As a woman pastor of two different large membership churches, and interestingly enough, I I didn't experience this at the smaller churches that I served, but as, um, as a pastor, senior pastor of a large membership church, I've been judged by gender. 
and have had one story or one reaction or one incident been held up as my truth while my male predecessors or colleagues whom I'm in conversation with and we talk about this kind of thing admit that often they're not held to such high standards to be perfect every single time. But make no mistake about it, I have also been guilty of single story judgment too. Absolutely, maybe not on gender, but on race or socioeconomic status, or maybe it was with my Duke and my state fans, but I have been guilty of single story characterization. Holding others to a single story perception when there's so much more than one characteristic. Zacchaeus will forever remind me that not all tax collectors are sinners and will always remind me that not all rich people are so in love with their money that they are incapable of participating in God's kingdom. You see, Jesus invites us to consider that salvation comes to the good and the bad and the good and bad. An encounter with Jesus can lead to salvation not just because of some powerful repentance and life reversal, sure it can happen for that reason, but not necessarily Salvation can also come as affirmation and blessing of the good we are already trying to do out of our faith and out of our love for Jesus. And Jesus' invitation, which is also our invitation, is to always be openly searching for the lost to whom Jesus came to find and to save. And y'all, the lost often aren't wearing the black hat with the letter S for sinner on their chest. They often look a lot like you and me. Amen. Amen.